Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman. PK, how are you tonight? I'm just melting down very nicely. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Still hot. Crazy weather we've got, for sure. Gosh, well, I don't mean to rub it in, but it is nice here for a change. So it's in the 70s. Yeah, I had to to, because you know in the winter we freeze to death and it's nice out there. I know, and then I laugh. It's okay. We have to to treat it off. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We have got a tremendous, tremendous guest on here tonight. We have Daniel Duke. We're going to bring him on in just a little while. He is the great, great grandson of the outlaw Jesse James. Now, we have since found out from reading. Daniel's great book, Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure. There is a lot more to Jesse James than we ever thought, we ever thought possible. This guy, I think he might have been a spiritual seeker, and he had buried treasure all over the place. This is such an interesting story. And Daniel Duke, his great-great-grandson, has been researching this for over 20 years, and he's going to be joining us very shortly. But... First, Miss PK, you did the numbers on Jesse James. What'd you find? Well, I found out by taking a look at things that uh, when he was, uh, he had talk about ego, my God, but he did it in such a way. It's almost like he was, I've never seen anybody with this much, the, the area that deals with ego self esteem. He has seven, which means that's a really high number. He goes one, one to nine. That means there isn't much left in the rest of the chart for anything else. But he loved changed major issues where family was concerned, always having something to do with or because of family, and very detailed about how he handled things. That was one of the, the areas. But he was very concerned about what he considered just and fair, but he always did two things at one time, never just one. And hmm. his destiny was a seven, so he was very, very intuitive. He knew a lot of things automatically, didn't necessarily know why. And I thought that was very interesting. And the day he died, he was also on a seven. I thought oh. that. So he came in on a seven. Seven is a high spiritual number, and it has a lot to do with teaching and learning and looking at things in a different way. So he definitely was a old soul even when he got here. Very That's interesting. So fascinating. About. Yeah. Yes. Very flexible to deal. I took a look at his mother's name. I had all he had was her first name, 
but uh, she was very much in control of the family, and by the given name at birth, she was the leader. She charged everything forward. If one thing didn't work out, she'd cut it off and go to the next thing. That's how she ended up with three husbands. Make sure that the kids were taken care of. If the husbands didn't go along with it, they were history. Wow. So strong woman, very strong woman. Good for her. Quite the pioneer. Yeah. Hey, somebody had to do it, right? Well, you know, it just sounds like there is so much unique about this family. And I, I just can't wait to get into this with Daniel Duke, who's done such a great job researching this and connecting all the dots. So we'll bring him on shortly. But first and foremost, I just want to also mention to everybody that if you want to know what your name means and your birth date and you want to know what's coming ahead, then contact Patricia Kirkman, PK. You can find her at patriciakirkman.com. You can schedule a session with her there. And she can even look at your business, your relationships, everything. You can also find PK on our website, supernaturalgirlswithaz.com. Highly recommend reading. I mean, just from this very short piece that you did on Jesse James, you were able to really pinpoint a lot of things about him and his personality. So everybody, don't miss this opportunity. Make sure you get a hold of PK for your reading. And if you want a soul realignment reading, Find out about what's going on with you in the Akashic Records and how to make your own changes, how to make changes work for you. Then make sure you contact me. I'm also on SupernaturalGirls.com. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you, tell you more about the process and what's involved. And we've got some great candles, magic candles from Katrina, our very own Bruja. She worked with me to design these things. They're beautiful. They work. They are pure magic. That's also on the website. And we're going to be talking at some point a health concern that all of us seem to have health issues today. But I have tracked down a brand new technology made in Germany. I'm going to be posting more about it so you can all learn. It is a laser, and you can buy it, use it in your home. It treats your entire body. It's amazing. So I'm going to be posting about that. Make sure you get onto our Facebook page. Like us, follow us on Twitter as well, because you've always got great stories, and now I'm going to be posting this type of thing so that you can learn more about how to maintain your own health. They say that light is the future and sound is the future of our healthcare. So here we go. And the Germans are already ahead of us on this, way ahead of us. So I'll be posting on it. Make sure you're liking and following our Facebook page so you can keep up. And there are a lot of stories this week, one about skulls of unknown creatures being found inside the Vatican. And it's interesting. Nobody's surprised about this, least of all us, right, PK? We figured they'd have these kinds of things. Most definitely. And they are there. So there are pictures that are very bizarre, but we posted all of it. So you can read the article, watch the video. That's all on our Facebook page. Make sure you go and take a look at that. It's a very strange story. And it's a little little spooky seeing these skulls that they have locked away. So anyhow, my goodness. I am going to, I'm so happy, PK, because we got to introduce, this is, I believe, a cousin of mine, Daniel Duke, because I'm also related to Jesse James. Right. So this I is always like, knew that you were a gunslinger. 
I tell I you. Was outlaw, always an outlaw, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> have to be. Put your husband. <laughs> That's right. Have to keep him in line. He knows better because he knows where I come from. So let's get Daniel on with us. Now, Daniel Duke, everybody, he is the great-great-grandson of the outlaw Jesse James. He spent the last 20 years decrypting the mysteries involving his family, Freemasonry, the Knights Templar, and we have a lot of questions for him. We want to know, did Jesse fake his own death and live out his rest of his years as James Courtney? And what is his connection with the Knights of the Golden Circle, the Knights Templar? There's just there's so much we need to know about the great Jesse James. So, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice being here. It's just great having you on. There is so much to this story. Now, tell us what made you get just dive into the research aspect of all of this. Well, my mother, and first of all, I'd like to say PK described Jesse and his mother perfectly. That, oh, that's right. from, from, from everything I've researched, that's, that's exactly how. She, she was known as such a strong woman that a lot of men in that time period didn't want anything to do with her. <laughs> I'm afraid of her. You know, they, they knew better than to make her mad. Uh, and it, that, I always liked that. They said she was uh, about six foot tall, and if she got mad, uh, there were times when that, well, they, they had said that she was able with one hit to knock a man out cold if she wanted to. So, you know, oh, she, was very, she was physically strong and mentally strong. And as for Jesse and his and the ego you mentioned, uh, every photo we have of him, even up to the last year he was alive, he died in 1943 at the age of 97. Every mm-hmm. photo of him, he had his chin up, like he always had a very proud look about him. Mm-hmm. That that just everything you said about him, he him and his mother rang that it rang true. So um, I, I just wanted to say that real oh, quick. Thank but, you for. Validating that for me. Well, you're welcome, and thanks for doing that. Um, my my mother started all this. She was also a strong lady. Um, she she wanted to know, you know, all our lives the story had been passed down from generation to generation that Jesse had faked his death and came to Texas and died an old man, un, you know, and he lived under the alias of James L. Courtney. Well, then, you know, when you're growing up, you hear that story at all the family get-togethers, and then you, you go to school and when they when they touch on that in history, they just you know the story's completely different. They said that you know he was killed by one of his fellow gang members. So right. we wanted to know, and my mother had grown up you know the same way. So she wanted to know whether the family story was true, which which story was true, history or the family story. So we, she started gathering evidence, and you know in photos, anything she could get that had been passed down through the family, and. The first big, big break, she took known, you know, our photos of, of James L. Courtney, who was also Jesse. Uh, she took our photos of him and his, you know, photos of his mother and his brothers, his brother. And we took those to uh, the Texas Department of Public Safety. They're our state police. And she took them to their forensic department, and they verified that our photos matched the historically accepted photos. And then she took them to the Austin Police Department and also to uh, uh, a company at the time they were named Visionics. They were world leaders in facial recognition technology. And all three groups verified that our photos matched, the historically accepted photos. 
and and with Zerelda, they even matched. She she was even wearing the exact same dress with the very same print on the dress. So and you know okay. miss, missing the same arm, and uh, it, it was just so that was a huge break. And then then we no. went from there into you know we also had his diary from 1871 to 1876, and. A lot of other family photos, records, census records. In his diary, he signed his name, J. James. And a lot of the uh, men he mentioned in his diary were known gang members. So that was a lot of... Yeah, that's a lot of evidence. Now, when you took these photos of James Courtney and you Mm -hmm. compared them with the photos that you had of Jesse James, you're saying they match? They look like the same person? Yes. And that wasn't, you know, we, we thought they matched, but we wanted highly credible experts who were, you know, mm-hmm. with high credentials to, to verify whether they whether we were right or wrong, and they verified that we were right. So that must have really set you on fire, that you were doing the right thing, pursuing it this. Did. It did. It set me on, it set the whole family on fire. My mother... Uh, she was the one who was heading all of this, and you know, in the beginning, she passed away in 2015, and uh, that's when I took over. You know, my sister and I took over. We wanted to continue her work. So, uh, but my mother was really on fire after that, and we all were. My sister and I helped her do her research, and for 20 years, we've been doing that. And on the side, when I had time, I would. That's when I would get in interest. You know, get into the. Uh, trying to decrypt all the treasure stories. Yeah, that's pretty pretty wild. We're going to get to that, all the buried gold and relics and everything else that Jesse James was involved with. But first, let's talk a little bit about Jesse. I mean, he had quite a, a very, actually, he had a difficult life in a lot of ways. Tell us his story. Okay. Uh, well, just uh, basically... When he was, when you know, the Civil War had started. Um, they say they. A lot of experts and historians claim the Civil War started uh, ten year, a decade earlier than the official beginning in Kansas and Missouri. That uh, the the two borders, you know, the border of Missouri and Kansas, they were fighting back and forth constantly, um, and it got worse. The Kansas, the Kansas Jayhawkers would raid into Missouri. And then, you know, Missouri would form groups and go pay them back. Well, this went back and forth for a long time before the Civil War officially started. And when it did start, Frank, Frank James, who was older than Jesse, he, he ran off to war and he joined the Confederate side. Well, Jesse was too young. He was only 14 years old. So he stayed home, and one day he was plowing in his field, and the Union— uh, Union-backed Jayhawkers rode onto his their farm and strapped him to a, a plow and brutally beat him. And they left oh, him strapped to the plow, and they rode onto the house. And his mother was pregnant at the time, Zerelda. And they they it said that they pushed her around, strapped her to a tree, and whipped her. And then they hung his uh, her, Jesse's stepfather, Rube, Dr. Reuben Samuel, and it didn't kill him, but it gave him permanent brain damage. So Jesse wanted revenge, and he, he couldn't join the, the, the regular army because he was too young, but he found a group who would let him join, and that was Quantrell's guerrillas. Wow. Uh-huh. Well, you, 
you can really see why he would want revenge. What a brutal, horrible experience that he went through for no reason. I mean, what was the purpose of that? They say that they were looking for Frank James. If they if they had known anything about Frank, they would have known that he was in the regular army. So I don't right. that their excuse doesn't really seem to hold water to me. But you know there was a lot of brutality on both sides, back and forth through that entire time, and it just it seemed to build over the years. And uh, it was fortunate that Jesse and his family lived because a lot of families got killed during raids okay. like that. Yeah, that's a horrible, horrible thing. But it kind of set the tone for him wanting revenge and also uh, being unafraid to exact a price. Exactly. And, and you know, uh, uh, that's exactly right because, you know, a teenage boy usually seems to lack that sense of fear and uh, mm-hmm. until they're well into their 20s, sometimes their 30s. So, <laughs> um, exactly. He, he, had, he was described as having no fear at all. And he was very good after that, you know, he got his training with the guerrillas. He was extremely good at what, what he did during the war. And now how did he become an outlaw? How did that transition happen? Okay, well, at the, at the end of the Civil War, the regular Confederate Army was granted amnesty. Uh, so all those soldiers got granted amnesty, and they were free to go about and do whatever they wanted. They couldn't be... They couldn't have professional positions like a banker, lawyers, judges, or they couldn't even – I don't believe they could vote for a while. And they couldn't be a preacher in a church or, or anything like that. But other than that, they were free to go about their lives. Well, the, the Quantrill's guerrillas, they weren't grant, granted amnesty. And if they were caught or surrendered, they were executed. Jesse tried Ooh. to surrender. At, in 1865, it was in April – of 1865, he tried to surrender in Lexington, Missouri, and one of the Union soldiers, they had a roadblock. They just shot him through the lung with a rifle, and it went through his, you know, shot him right through the chest. It went, they said it went through his lung, and somehow he rode off and lived. I don't, you know, that, that was a, he, he must have been tough to survive something like that. That is remarkable, yes. Just, well, I guess he inherited that from his mother, my goodness, I, but still, I, especially back in those days, you know, the medical care that there really wasn't any so amazing he survived that so he learned not not to uh actually rejoin society that wasn't possible that's that's exactly right you know they were hunted um they had groups out hunt hunting the gorillas down for years he couldn't you know they always had to hide they they basically had a choice leave the country or become an outlaw and he chose to be an outlaw and he was good at it he was very oh, yeah. good at it. They, good. They, all the tactics that they had learned during the war, they employed in, in their outlaw career, and they, they were very good at it. Now, he robbed trains and banks, right? And That's right. And he, okay, so he, he really knew what he was doing, and so he must have walked away with quite a bit of treasure from, from these robberies. He had quite a bit. Um, they didn't. A, so, traditional history claims that they all died broke and that they, they just blew through their money any time they got it, and that's not the case. Uh, he, he had quite a bit of money, and I believe a lot of the others saved a lot of their money, the ones who lived. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I just, you know, what a lifestyle having to be on the run all the time, always looking over your shoulder, you know, you can never settle down. You can never be a part of society again. And you, you end up having to rob banks and et cetera to survive. That's so, true. yeah. And, and he didn't have a problem with using his gun and to get people out of his way if he needed to. That's true. And, you know, some people claim that he was very brutal and, you know, just a, a, I've even heard some people claim he was a psychopath. But at the same time, I don't believe he was a psychopath. Most psychopaths don't seem to to last very long in a career like that because the power goes to their head. And they, they always seem to go a little too far and that catches up with them. I think it was very calculated. He lived a low profile, which is also opposite of what a psychopath would do. Psychopaths love the attention, so they're going to keep getting out there until you know their, their end meets them. But uh, he lived a low-profile life. He wanted out of it, but he, and he tried. A lot of people don't realize in 1879, and it's well-documented, he tried to, to fake his death in 1879 with uh, one of his, his fellow gang members, George Shepard. And they didn't have a body, so nobody believed that he had actually died. George Shepard rode into a town and said, I shot Jesse. And I believe they had shot a deer, and they used the blood from the deer to make a trail to make it look like he'd rode off and probably bled out. But uh, uh. yeah, and, but they couldn't find a body, so nobody believed that he was actually dead. Yeah, so he he really did want to come back and join the rest of the human race. That's so interesting. But again, PK, you talked about Jesse's attention to detail, right? You saw yes, that. He and, very much a free spirit. He never did just one thing at a time. He always had to do at least two. And do you think that his attention to detail is also what kept him alive? And oh, He lived in his head a lot. He knew things. Uh, he had a gut feel about things. He seemed to know why not to go to a certain place or why to make certain changes because that intuitive side of his was extremely strong. But mm-hmm. he was very much a... Uh, free spirit. I mean, he was uh, a risk taker always. Well, that would certainly fit because every time he walked into a situation uh, to do a train robbery or a bank robbery, that was pretty risky because, I mean, I would imagine now, Daniel, did they have security back then? I know they did for the trains and I think they eventually got security for banks, right? Some Some of the banks, yes. Especially after years of all, you know, all the robberies. After a while, they they started getting better security. Uh, but there were, all, you know, they found ways to get around that too for a while. And, uh, and there there was a lot. There's well, like when they went to Northfield, Minnesota, uh, where they were supposedly uh, gunned down. You know, the uh, the, uh, the, the half the gang was shot up. The younger brothers all got sent to prison. Uh, that. You know, it was supposed to be the, the the one town that put an end to the James gang. Well, Jesse was here in Texas when that happened. It was his his first cousin, Wood Height, who they mistaked. They had mistaken Wood Height for Jesse. Frank Frank was involved in that robbery, but not Jesse. Oh, okay. So he, we have uh, – oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just saying he escaped all of that. That was lucky. Yeah, yeah. And he, he, he wasn't – Oh, go ahead. He must have had a gut feeling, just like what PK was saying. 
that he he had this this inner sense of what to do and what not to do, and it it kept him alive all those years. That's true, and PK was right on that also because they they've always said that he had he seemed to have a natural instinct for for getting by with everything he did. Um, you know, he he, he he never got caught. He always and, did a minimum of two things at one time. He never did just one thing in his life. He always had something on reserve that was working at the same time. I believe that. And so you know, everything we research shows that, that that's exactly right. Was that like a backup plan, you would say, PK? Or you're just saying two things at once. So he knew if, if uh, plan A didn't work, he had plan B already in place. He always knew where he was going, for sure. And he always was doing a minimum of two things at one time. Right, right. Well, that would make what sense. What him in trouble was didn't know how to talk tactfully. He he just whatever he said it went right, right you know right to the gut in the core of the matter, and that's what would get him in trouble with his mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe that too. <laughs> <laughs> He's just such a fascinating character. I wish he could just be right here in front of us, and we could hear all the stories right from Jesse himself. What fun that would be! Oh my God. So we're going to. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Daniel. Oh, I just I was agreeing with you. I would love to go back in time, and just spend a day with him at least. Oh, wouldn't that be neat? Would be. It would be great. Yeah, it would be great. You know, we had uh, some people on the show. They're from Arizona, out where PK is, and they do these these kind of ghost things uh, in the Wild West with. I believe, outlaws, and I wonder if they've attempted to contact Jesse James. That might be a fun call to be on for you, Daniel. That That would be. Let me see if I can find out from them if they've ever gotten a hold of Jesse in their travels. I know that they have contacted other outlaws and have had interesting conversations with them. So we'll have to hook you guys up because that will be a lot. That could be your next book. That could be. Right. This just goes on and on with, with amazing, amazing stories. So but somewhere along the line, despite the fact that he was always on the run, always looking over his shoulder, and he had a price on his head, he managed to uh, get married and have kids. Yes, he did. Uh, he came before he, before he, in 1871, which was uh, 11 years before he was allegedly assassinated, he came to Texas in 1871, and um, his fa- he married Mary Ellen Barron. Mary Ellen's father was a former Texas Ranger who went by – his name was Captain Thomas Hudson Barron. Well, he had known – somehow he knew Thomas Barron because in his diary, when he – in 1871, when the diary starts on, on that particular diary, he, uh, he, he'd already, he knew where to meet Captain Barron. He didn't say he knew him, but it was obvious he did because he knew exactly where to go outside of Fort Worth, Texas. They met. They rode together for a little ways. They parted, and then they met back three weeks later at Thomas Barron's ranch. And and uh, the following that was in June of 1871. And on Halloween, he married Thomas Barron's daughter, Mary Ellen. And that that was all in 1871. He he never married Z Mims like history had stated he did. Um, okay, so he had, only had one wife. That's right. 
And they, they, as far as I know, he only had one wife. Uh, there, there's a lot of mysteries about Jesse. He, you know, I always keep an open mind on anything because you never know for sure. You know, there's a lot of gaps that I just couldn't, I can't know because I don't have any papers or or documents to prove it. So uh, maybe he had other other girlfriends or another wife. I'm not sure, but and it wouldn't shock me. But at the same time, uh, all I know is he married Mary, uh, Mary Ellen Barron in 1871 on Halloween. And he had oh, all these kids I with both. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, PK. What did you say about I Halloween? said Halloween. How apropos he had he had to put a mask over what was really going on. I like that. That's true. Yeah, that is. You know, he even gave that as his birth date on his tombstone under his alias. Uh, it was October 31st, 1846 is, is the birth date on his fake, you know, well, it's on his tombstone, but it's under his fake name, James L. Courtney. Oh, my God. So that, now that we date, uh, Go ahead. Now I just say, we've we got to get into this thing about his death because there, again, here's another mystery. Did he die assassinated by one of his gang members? Because that's what history is teaching us. So we know history is often wrong. Or did he fake his death and live out the rest of his life uh, as this Courtney figure? So tell us, first of all, about this assassination that happened. Okay. Uh, according to the historically accepted uh, version, Jesse, you know, he, he was trying to rebuild this gang because the gang, the rest of the gang was either in prison or dead uh, or just hiding out somewhere. So he wanted to rebuild the gang, and Bob, that's where Bob and Charlie Ford entered the picture. Uh, they were, you know, the, the train and bank robbing had gotten so bad in Missouri that trains would reroute and go around the state rather than go through it. So it was hurting. Oh my God. Yeah. It was, it was bad. So uh, <laughs> it was hurting. It, it hurt the whole state's economy. So the governor and, and the railroads wanted an end to Jesse. They wanted to put Jesse, you know, they wanted to kill him, whatever it took to make him stop. So it said that the Ford boys were hired by the governor under the table to, to infiltrate the gang, track his movements, and if they had a chance, put an end to him. And, you know, allegedly on April, April 2nd or April 3rd, 1882, it said that Jesse took his guns off. He was a very cautious man, but they said he took his guns off, stood up on a chair to dust a, a, a picture on the wall, and they shot him in the back of the head. Well, mm. first of all, I visited that we all, my family and I visited that, the, the house where he was said to have been assassinated. That room, the ceilings are very low. And you would have to be a, a very, like, a small man to be able, or a small person, to be able to stand on a chair in that, in that room and not have to duck over to dust the picture. So it wouldn't make sense in a room that small to even have to get a chair. You'd just walk up and dust the picture off. And it, so that's, that part of the story didn't add up. There was a hole in the wall where they said the bullet left his head and went through the wall. Well, in the in the coroner's inquest, the man, the body that they examined, there was no exit wound. Yet they claimed they shot the body, or they, they claimed he was shot with a forty-four mag, you know, a forty-four revolver. Um, so, and and 
FBI, there's been several FBI experts who are gun experts who stated on record you couldn't shoot a man at that close a distance with a 44 and it not have an exit wound. There would have definitely been an exit wound. Yet the body they examined had no exit wound. So, you know, there's a lot of discrepancies there. Well, when, when he was supposedly killed, they had his mother, Zerelda, they got her a, 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 they, they got her on the train and had her ride up to St. Joseph, Missouri, where it, where, it, where it happened, and she was supposed to identify the body. When she walked in the room, she said her first words were, gentlemen, you are mistaken, that is not my son. Somebody walked her out of the room. One of, one of the ladies there walked her out of the room. She came back in a few minutes later crying and bawling and very dramatically, you know, just damning everyone to hell who had anything to do with killing her poor boy. <laughs> so it was oh. kind of funny. You know, at first she had a cold reaction. That's not my son. And then a few minutes later she's putting on a big show. Well, not only that, there's more. At the funeral, Jesse's aunt said, that's not the Jesse I knew. And Zerelda was quoted as saying, that's my rabbit's foot. And I huh. thought, wow, that, that's, you know, because rabbit's foot is known as a lucky charm. And oh, that's yeah. a lucky charm. Well, another, <laughs> uh, another aspect of that, at the coroner's inquest, when they, when they questioned the lady that J- Jesse was supposedly married to, Z. Mims, uh, they questioned her. Jesse was supposedly missing the tip of one of his fingers. She didn't know, and this is a lady, they'd been married for years and had two children together. She didn't know which finger was missing on which hand, and she didn't know how old he was. Yeah, and, and there, yeah, so, you, you know, that's kind of odd. But they, when they mentioned her jewelry that was left in the house, she described that to every fine detail, you know, how many diamonds were in each piece of jewelry, what was engraved on, you know, on every ring, different watches, every. She knew the details of all of that, but didn't even know how old her husband, her alleged husband was. Or so what, what do you which, make of that? I'm sorry? What do you make of that? There's a two, there are so many discrepancies in that story. It just it doesn't sound right. And the the other thing, um, Jesse, Jesse, nobody knew what Jesse looked like other than his immediate family and his gang members. That's why the 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 law, all the detectives and the police couldn't catch him. Nobody knew exactly what he looked like. His cousin Wood Height bore a strong resemblance to to Jesse. Wood Height was killed a month earlier in a shootout at Bob Ford's sister's house. He was known as a ladies' man, Wood Height was. And he, uh, I believe he was married to Z. Mims, and he was probably having an affair with, going by his reputation, it wouldn't shock me if he was having an affair with the, the Ford brother's sister. Well, another, several other men liked the Ford brother's sister. Her name was Martha. Well, I, there was a shootout at that house. It was probably involving jealousy over the sister and, you know, her affections. So there was a shootout. The men got mad. A man named Dick Liddell, a farmhand was killed, and Dick Liddell got wounded, and he killed Wood Height. I think that was the perfect – it wasn't planned, but it happened. I think Wood Height was passed off for his cousin Jesse because ah. they bore a strong resemblance, and nobody it's, really knew their, their, their uh, identity anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you, the first thing that tipped me off about the story being bogus 
I really have a hard time imagining Jesse dusting anything. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you think a gunslinger, an outlaw is going to stop and, you know, take off his guns and then dust the top of the picture? I don't think so. I don't think so either. But they and tell I, the bizarre story. Did they collect the reward? They must have. Yeah, the Ford boys collected the reward. Um, they, I don't believe they, I, and that there's a mystery involving the Ford boys. I've, I've, we have met one of their one of their relatives. Uh, he claimed that the Fords were working with Jesse, and that seems, you know, it, I, I don't doubt that. Um, they, I think they were, they were involved. They were kind of caught in, in the middle between the governor and Jesse. Uh, and you know which one would you fear the most? If it were me, I would have feared Jesse the most because oh, he was free to go anywhere he wanted, and he had right. contacts everywhere. So you know they were caught in the middle. They probably thought they would be viewed as heroes, and they'd get a big reward on top of it. So in the, I guess they imagined they couldn't lose, and they didn't. I don't think they expected the reaction that they got. They were known as cowards. Charlie ended up committing suicide years later, and then. Bob, or Robert, Robert or Bob Ford, they, he was gunned down in Colorado by a, a, a man who was drunk who wanted to make him pay for what he did to Jesse. So, Ooh. you know, it, it ended bad for both of them. It sure did. Oh, my goodness. Well, we're going to get into more of the details of this and, of course, the Lost Templar treasure. So we're just going to take a very quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are going to speak about all, oh, my God, this mystery. I have so many questions. This is a great story. I love it. I love it. Okay, everybody, you are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio, and we will be right back. Pure essential oil, specialized minerals, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology, Astridian combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridian's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian. Beyond your expectations. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With cosmic fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. 
Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, The Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I am your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman, PK, and our terrific guest tonight, so fascinating, Daniel Duke, who is the great-great-grandson of the outlaw, Jesse James. Now, Daniel, just hearing that last commercial about property taxes, there is a property tax story about Jesse, right? There's there's a lot of stories about him. The property tax one, the one that comes to mind right now, is the, uh, the one where he was set a, an elderly lady – was supposedly she owned owed a lot of taxes. She had the money, but if she paid it, she couldn't afford to live or eat. Uh, the tax collector was was on his way. He showed up, took the tax money from her, and when he left, Jesse robbed him, got the receipt and the cash, and took it back to to the lady. She was a, an elderly widow, and uh, that that was that added a lot to his uh, to his Robin Hood status. Oh, yeah, I love it. We need him now. (laughs) Yeah, we do. We need our tax money back. (laughs) What a great story. So was he really a Robin Hood in some ways? In some ways, he's said to have been. um, There's also, there was a, um, John Newman Edwards was a reporter. And he really sided with the James, the James boys, and the whole gang. And uh, he he worked, it, he he served to put out a lot of good PR for the James boys. Uh, some of it, some some historians claim that he exaggerated, you know, really over exaggerated on a lot of his stories. I, there's a lot of those stories I don't have any facts on, and it's hard to find facts on, like the widow story. But it wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. There's too many. You know, you know the saying where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, yeah, there were a For lot. Sure. Of, yeah, and there were a lot of stories like uh, about Jesse doing similar things like that. So, you know, w- when you have a whole lot of stories claiming similar actions, 
it wouldn't shock me. It certainly I, I wouldn't. Would think, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I would think there's a, you know some truth to that. It's very cool. And also, now you're saying, and I, I think we both agree with you that this assassination never really took place. So he was able to take another identity. So talk us through that, and then we're going to get into all this buried treasure stuff that's so exciting. Um, how did he assume this other identity? And then he was able to live normally? Is that what happened? Yeah, he lived low-key. Uh, when he assumed the identity of James Lafayette Courtney, that was the name of one of his cousins. And we've traced the Courtney's back. They're tied in with the James family. They're all related. Um, James Lafayette Courtney, the real James L. Courtney, he was a he fought for the Union during the Civil War, and he was a bugler. And but his physical description didn't match Jesse at all. Yet Jesse took his identity, and you know it was it, they were both they were both fairly tall. Jesse was a tall man. Um, James L. Courtney was around six foot, and uh, they didn't match physically. But he, all he needed was a name. And, you know, back in those days, it was real easy to fake any identity. You just, you leave the area you're from, go, go, you know, go to another state. And if you live low profile, there's nobody going to bother you, really, um, unless you're being hunted. Jesse was being hunted, but at the same time, when he moved into Texas, he married the daughter of a former Texas Ranger who was well-respected. Not many people are going to question the Texas Ranger and his integrity. Then there were the fact that the other buffer he had, he lived in a in a rural area, which was served as a buffer, but also a lot of the former Quantrell's guerrillas lived around him. All up and down, there's a creek called Deer Creek that runs through there, and a lot of those former guerrillas who, who escaped and didn't die lived lived out the rest of their life along that same creek. So you know he he had a it was all, he was surrounded by fellow guerrillas and former gang members and his father-in-law was a respected Texas Ranger and a lot of people don't don't know this but Texas Rangers back in the beginning a lot of the Texas some of the best Texas Rangers we had were former outlaws so they kind of oh. rode yeah they rode the line I was how to shoot better than them right yeah exactly. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. You know, this is a brilliant move. This man was able to come full circle to get what he always wanted, which is to live a normal life with his family, right? That's true. That's exactly right. One thing that always bothers me, I feel sorry for him because you could, in the the photos we have of him as, as an older man, he he looked very proud, but he always had a sadness in his eyes. Really? Why do you yeah, think always, that is? I think it has something to do with all the trouble that he'd gone through in the past, and I'm I'm sure he was affected by things he went through during the war, like a lot of soldiers today are. But uh, that that may have accounted for some of it. But I, I think a lot of the a lot of the the troubles that he'd gone through in his younger days probably came back to haunt him at night over the years when he was older. Quite possibly. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Because he is a sensitive soul from the the, uh, 
spiritual side of him was a lot stronger than anybody had any idea. I like that. That's good to know. And he was a master manifester. I mean, he (laughs) eluded all of these people that were after him for his entire life. I mean, then he creates this whole other life for himself, this whole other identity, which even back then was, I mean, it was easier than it would be today, but still, I mean, not so easy. So he was, I mean, we could all learn something from how he manifested what he wanted. It's, It's just an amazing turnaround. And he pulled it off. You said he died at 97? He died at 97. Jeez. He was, you know, he had, he had, there was a story in the family, and it, it's a true story. It was passed down. Uh, when he was in his 60s, they thought he died one night. <clears throat> he, they, You know, the next morning, uh, everybody woke up, but he didn't get up. And it looked like he was dead. He was laying there in bed. They thought he was dead. They called the doctor, and this was when he was in his 60s. Uh, they called the doctor. The doctor came, you know, held the mirror in front of his nose to see if, if it left any uh, condensation. They couldn't tell that he was breathing. They pronounced him dead. They were having a wake for him. And my great-grandmother noticed his, his little, one of his little, you know, his little pinky finger just started moving just very slightly. And she noticed it kept moving, and she told everybody, and that's what kept him. If, if she wouldn't have noticed that, they would have put him in the casket and buried him the next day alive. Uh, he Ooh. woke up a few days later. It's, I don't know if – it sounds almost like he went into a coma for a short time and, and then came out of it. I know he'd had wounds from the war and other places, but uh, may, maybe the wounds, maybe – I don't know what caused it, but, but they thought he was dead, and then he came back to life a few days later or actually came out of the coma. That's wow. incredible great story <laughs> my yeah. goodness all right now you, you gotta talk us through the next part of this which is all about the treasure and okay. the connections between the freemasons the knights templar very powerful groups of people yeah. tell us how how is jesse james connected to that okay um you know any any Old West outlaw, or not any of them, but most Old West outlaws all have some treasure story connected to them in one way or another. And uh, even some of the smaller ones here in Texas, you know, there's there was always legends passed down saying that, that you know, he buried a treasure out here before he got killed. And, you know, it, it, a lot of them, most of them make for good campfire tales, but there's really not much to them. But, I, you know, through the family, uh, some of the items that were passed down, we had a treasure map. Uh, Jesse had drawn the original. When he passed away, his fam well, during his funeral, half his children stayed at home instead of going to the funeral, and they were digging up the yard looking for his treasures. <laughs> um, yeah. And one of his sons copied the original treasure map, and that's what passed down through the family to us. We have a copy of the original. Well, you know, that always interests me. That, a treasure map's always going to interest most people. And sure. I thought... I thought if he buried something, at most it might be a jar of coins or maybe a saddlebag with some gold in it. And I wanted to figure it out and find it, but I couldn't. And as research went further, I started getting clues here and there. He wrote in code in his diary and on the map. I finally decrypted the code, 
it wasn't real hard. It was just letters substituted for numbers and numbers for letters. So Mm -hmm. I, I eventually broke that, and I thought, okay, I've got the code decrypted, but it still doesn't give me directions on how to find this. And as I researched, I came across a template that had originally been attributed to a group called the Knights of the Golden Circle. And they were a secret Confederate group who their whole goal during the Civil War was to uh, cause trouble for Union troop movements, you know, burn bridges, things like that. And after the war, they were said, it said their goal changed. They were, their goal was supposed to be to gain as much wealth as they could any way they could so that they could fund a second Civil War and fight it all over again. And I thought, okay, I have no reason to doubt this, so I went with that. But they had this template they called the the Knights of the Golden Circle treasure template. I found that, and I kept researching it, and I thought, well, I have no, no reason to doubt this, so I'll just keep researching it. And as that was happening, I kept coming to a lot of brick walls. As that was happening, uh Former Attorney General of the state of Texas, Wagner Carr, he passed away several years back. He he was had been talking to my mother about Jesse. He was real interested in Jesse also. Well, he had his driver show us several locations where very large treasures had been excavated. They'd been removed. Uh, and so that gave me two locations to go by. And then an elderly man named George Roaming, who was a Freemason and a, a, a Shriner, he he told he he introduced himself to us and told us that when he was 10 years old he knew Jesse when Jesse was an old man Jesse swarmed to secrecy and hired him to move 680 bars of gold about 20 miles from his home they met some other old men in a field and they buried the gold 8 feet deep well he, George drew the map for us and showed us where it was turns out it's now on the uh, on the Fort Hood military reservation so there's no way I'm going to get to that. <laughs> oh, no. Well, oh, that's and, terrible. But, but the, the, the benefit the I did get from that, it helped, me, it helped me line up all those treasure sites, and it fit on the template, and now I knew the dimensions of the template. So I started lining the template up, and it lined up with historical sites across America and historic, uh, also other known treasure locations. And, I, and some of these locations predated the, K, the Knights of the Golden Circle by centuries, which when I came across that, that led me to discount the involvement of the Knights of the Golden Circle. I don't believe they played a large role in this, or if any role at all. And uh, that, that's when I found out, you know, I knew Jesse was a Freemason under his new identity, so... I thought, well, maybe the Freemasons had something to do with this, and other information I'd gathered kept pointing towards the Freemasons. And through that information, it in, everything started falling into place, and this didn't happen overnight. This took me years, but I, it all started falling into place, and I could trace it back. I, you know, when I first discovered that part of it and their connection to it, I wanted to know who started it and why they started this. And so that that ended up leading from Jesse through uh, men like Albert Pike. Um, I started reading as much as I could from Albert Pike, like his book Morals and Dogma. Uh, Manly Palmer Hall, who wrote the the Secret Teachings of All Ages, his book helped a great deal. Men like uh, the the current Knights Templar Grand Master Timothy Hogan, all of their writings helped me a great deal. 
and gave me little clues here and there that fit together with the big picture. And I ended up tying it back through Masons who were founding fathers, from them to Francis Bacon, Sir Christopher Wren, uh, Sir Isaac Newton. And, and it was like making a family tree. It wasn't just a, you know, I wanted to make sure I had each man that was linked in this had connections to the next man. So there was a clear line of descent. And when I came across Francis Bacon, I thought, okay, this is the guy who started it all. Because he had written that book, uh, The New Atlantis, which was basically a blueprint for what America was meant to be. And I thought, okay, this is the guy who started the whole thing. And I was satisfied for a short time until I found more information that led even further back through, like, uh, Francis Bacon's mentor, John Dee, who was also, he was a spy, an alchemist. It said that he was a Rosicrucian. Uh, and he had all, uh, a lot of different, I mean, th this man was a genius in my opinion. I mean, he had his fingers in all kinds of stuff, esoteric stuff. He worked for the queen. Um, and it tied from him back through different alchemists all the way through different Jewish rabbis um, to the Knights Templar. Uh, it, I went all the way back to a Jewish rabbi by the name of Rashi, who was connected to all this, and he was the favored court guest of Hugh, the Count of Champagne, who was one of the founders of the Knights Templar. For heaven's sake. My God, this is fascinating. It's so amazing. You're, you're saying that... This lineage of Jesse James has a, quite a powerful spiritual connection all through time. It so, does. I it mean, goes through, uh, you know, there's Christians, Jew Jewish people, Christian Kabbalists, Jewish Kabbalists, occult Kabbalists, alchemists, Rosicrucians, Freemasons, Jewish rabbis, and the Knights Templar. And they and also had connections with different people in the Holy Lands, who, which also ties in with a... Uh, Sufi mystics and people in the Druze tradition. So, Goodness. I mean, it just, it, it's, it's amazing that all these different religions that all tie in with this. And so Jesse James was one in this lineage. And do you think he knew? I mean, I, obviously, you know, PK, you're, you're saying he had an, an inner knowing that was very strong. But do you think that he knew where he came from? This is a powerful I believe, I believe he did. I, that, you know, it was like a family tree, only it was a tree of an organization and men of the same mindset who formed all of this. And there's a lot of, you know, I mentioned a clear line, but at the same time, there's a lot of men that will are probably invisible to history that we may never know about who are also involved in this, who had accomplishments that were just as great. And I, you know, that that's where a lot of continued research. I'm I'm trying to I'm try I want my goal is one of my goals is to find as many people involved in this as I can so that they all get credit for this huge accomplishment. If, I, I, I hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's amazing. But let me ask you because you're talking about a group of people through time. But are you also talking about the possibility that Jesse James was actually related to these people? He could have very well been, and that, that wouldn't shock me at all. There, there's, a, there's a strong possibility. I think so. I think so. I mean, given what PK has determined about him, just based on his name, I mean, the power of this man, 
to to walk through this type of a life and and die at 97 peacefully is just incredible. But he also had all these diaries and all these maps, and he he had all this gold. My God, how much do you think that gold would be worth today that he had buried? Oh, I that's a good question. Um, there there's well one of the treasure sites, just one of them, the one that was discovered in New Mexico. It was called Victorio Peak. It's just a small mountain out in the desert of New Mexico. At the time it was discovered, it was said to have contained $3 billion worth of treasure, and that's just one site. Um, Yikes. The, the one that George Roaming, who I mentioned earlier when he was a child, helped Jesse move and, and bury, that was 680 bars of gold. Each bar weighed 15 pounds apiece, and I oh think – at, at today's value, that 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 one alone would be worth about two hundred and twenty-eight million dollars. So, oh my God! Yeah, and these these treasures were buried over the centuries by different groups, the Templar, Freemasons, and others, and it, it covers the Americas, Canada, America, and and Mexico. So, you know, I I I don't believe each spot on the template has a treasure. It's kind of like if you, if you laid out a city, there's a grid pattern so that you, you would know how to lay the city out straight. And, you know, some areas are going to have vacant lots, whereas some will have, you know, buildings and things. Well, I think the template's a lot like that, only the template has a lot more vacant areas than, than a city would. But uh, even, even though, you know, even accounting for that, there's still billions, at least billions of, of dollars of gold left out there. That's we gotta find this stuff, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. I do think a lot of them have been recovered. And uh, see, when I first started this, I, I thought, you know, I want some of this treasure. You know how you know it would. Oh just, yeah. Not sure. only, yeah. So, but then as I went further and deeper and found out the connections and why they did it, I started, or I believe I know at least part of the reason why they did it. I just it, it changed me as a person and it changed my mind. It's not for me. Um, I, of course, I would love to see it and I would love to find some, but I wouldn't want to keep it because all the just thinking of all the great men and different people throughout the centuries who have died to protect that. It I don't want it. It's not for me. So I think it's for the Freemasons and the Templar. And I don't you know I, I basic the reason they started all this was to help found a nation of freedom and liberty. They, you know, temp, Templar, uh, Jewish people, Gnostic beliefs, all, all these different groups had been persecuted throughout the centuries, all throughout Europe and in the Holy Lands. And I think they all had a common goal, which was a country like, like the book Francis Bacon had written, The New Atlantis, a place where they could all coexist peacefully and prosper with freedom and liberty and i think that's what it was all meant for and it, i you know i changed it changed my mind on the treasure it's not for me it's for the it's for their goal good of all yeah. yes good of all so you're exactly. saying it's a future a future vision of the world and that's why it was buried so it wasn't meant to be passed down from one generation to the next it was meant to be hidden i agree yeah. Oh my God, there is just so much to this. So, so in in Jesse's diary, um, and he had more than one diary, right? This is like many diaries. 
Is that correct? He had many, he had many diaries, and we have one. Uh, some of the others were hidden. We had an elderly uh, family member. She burned over 200 of his letters. And what? Off, she was ashamed of it, so she burned a lot of his letters. Ashamed and of what? Of Jesse. She didn't want to be known as being descended from an outlaw. So she started oh. burning. She started burning letters, and that really bothered my whole family. Um, you know, that's history. She was burning, but uh, she she passed what away a few years ago. She was she 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 was a nice lady, but at the same time, it really it really made me mad when I learned that she burned all those letters. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was a bad thing that she did. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, this is history, and all of these letters, <clears throat> diaries, et cetera, give you more clues as to what Jesse really knew and what he was doing and why. So exactly. you need those pieces. Yeah, and, you know, even the letters she burned, and no tell, there's no telling what else she burned. I know she also hid a lot of things, um, and I don't know what became of that. I've heard that she sold some of his items to somebody else, but we never we never could get an answer out of that either. So uh, there there was a lot of strange things. I mean, she was a small town school teacher in small town Texas. Her husband was a small town Baptist minister. Yet they owned land all over Texas. Everything was paid for. Their children had everything paid for, and they they donated large sums of money to a local university. So I always wondered how they got all that money. <laughs> so, you That's know, a good question. Yeah, it didn't add up. Um, preachers mm-hmm. don't make that much, or they, you know, small town preachers don't. And, and uh, cool preachers uh, don't either. Yeah. That's right. Oh, those sneaky people. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, so know, oh, go ahead. PK, go ahead. I was just saying, the way it's running out, you just don't know who you can trust. That's true. Now, you said that there are other diaries. Do you know who has the other diaries? No. Uh, I have some some suspicions. They're family members, but I, I don't know for sure. Um, they're, they're all so very some, quiet. Yeah, some of them don't want to cooperate with what you're doing? Yeah, um, and, and it's see half half of his children, they didn't want the recognition. They didn't well, not even recognition. They just didn't want anybody knowing about it, and they acted ashamed of it. Yet that was the same half of the family who they were they were more than happy to take his money, but they didn't want to take his you know the rest of it. <laughs> so yeah. so they took his money and you know or what they could get that that was the half of the family that stayed behind digging for the treasure during his funeral and yeah. um, they you know they they pretty much cleaned out the house and got what they could and you know ran with that so yet yet at the same time they don't want to admit that their ancestor was an outlaw even though they know it and they've all written about it you know written to each other and little family history things they just don't want to admit it publicly You know, I think it's so strange because here we are in a completely different world. And Jesse James, he's someone I think should be revered for who he was and what he did and what he accomplished. And again, with this big spiritual connection that this is news to me, but it makes total sense. His connection, this group of people and the Templar Knights 
who were extraordinary. It's um, why not be proud of that? Exactly. Um, you know, he he was he he was he wasn't an angel by any means. You know, he had his faults like anybody else. But uh, what his accomplishments were far, in in my opinion, far outweighed his his faults. And, Definitely. Uh, you know, some some of like when he became an outlaw, I don't. You know, he was defending with him. It wasn't a north versus south thing. It was defending his family and his property. And he also wanted revenge for what had happened when he was 14. And that all of that led him into becoming an outlaw. So, you know, there's there, you know, people ask, well, why didn't he turn himself in like others did? Well, he couldn't. He tried, and he got shot in the chest for it. So yeah. I mean, would you do it again? <laughs> That's once is quite enough. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you're looking at these, um, the veil that you found, this esoteric template, and you place it on the maps and you read through the, the diary that you do have, what else did you discover? What else have you found? Okay. Uh, when I was working with the veil, it, you know, I noticed it lined up with, all, with known treasure sites from the past that had been recovered and, and historical sites across the nation, like the uh, Newport Tower, uh, the Kensington Runestone in Minnesota that Scott Walter had worked on, and he had tied that back into Knight Templar, uh, involvement with the Knight Templar being here in the New World. And when I found that, I thought, okay, I know I'm on the right track. And then I found a, uh, well, with the template, it that lined up with a lot of stuff, but there was a second template that I discovered while I was working with that. And that lined up with Victoria Peak and Williamsburg, Virginia, and several other, you know, it, it was eight other sites, including those two, which make up the shape of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. And I thought, oh okay, God. you know, at first I thought, did I just stumble on a second one? That that, and are they related, or is this a completely different thing? And I found out they are related. Uh, as I started reading more about Kabbalah, you know, and the Tree of Life specifically, it, associated with the Tree of Life are the three veils of negative existence. And uh, that's when it all, you know, that fell together, or all fell, all the pieces started falling in, and it all made sense then. And the veil template, which, you know, looked like a grid, was actually a form of the veil. There's three sizes of the veil also. It's a medium, large, and small size. And so that makes up three templates of the veil template, which, you know, fall in line perfectly with the Kabbalistic model of the three veils of negative existence. And I think the treasures that are located on the Tree of Life template are more of a spiritual value. Well, because you did talk about there was a billion-dollar treasure that was discovered, and there were relics in there. It wasn't just money or coins or gold. That's right. Right? There was a That's crown right. or something. There, was, there were documents. Tell us more about what they what was in there. That was in Victoria Peak, and there was there, you're right. There was a crown. There were swords. There were documents. Uh, there were letters dating from from centuries ago to as as recent as 1880. Uh, so it it had obviously been amassed. That everything that was in there had been put in there over the over several centuries, and I think it involved the same group, just different people who were connected with the same group, being the Freemasons and Knights Templar. 
Um, and they, and you know, had jewels on them, which would implicate possibly royalty. That's right. The, there was a the, the crown had, I think it was two hundred and forty three diamonds and a giant, a large uh, pigeon blood ruby that was attached to the crown. Oh my and God! He came out great on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Ready? Thank you. Color. That ruby would be beautiful on you. <laughs> and so, no, these documents are, are fascinating. And you think that people from this group just would come to the same location and just deposit these items? I think so. And I, I apparently, the last letter that they found, or the most recent letter they found in, in Victoria Peak was said to have been dated 1880. So... That shows that, you know, there were old ancient treasures in there. There were also new ones. There were sacks of Pony Express mail patches or, or packet, you know, uh, satchels full oh, of mail uh-huh. that, that had been uh, collected over the years. So it appears that somebody was robbing Pony Express guys, taking their mail and just dumping the mail into the, you know, into the cavern, into a corner of one of the rooms in, inside the, the Victoria Peak. Now, the man who found this, he kind of caused a bit of a problem with his explosives, right? He did. He, uh, he, he, was, he could only take out a certain amount each time, and I, uh, he wanted to make it easier on himself. And somebody, I read in one place uh, he was advised not to do that because the stone was a soft, kind of rotted stone. Uh, it was very degraded, very fragile stone, but he didn't listen. He he tried to blast a larger opening, and he caved the entire thing in. Oh, wow. Bad. So all he, all he had then, and he had a lot, he had recovered a lot of treasures, they say, and he had buried them. He was very paranoid. He left his wife. He was paranoid of her. He was paranoid of his business partners. He kept changing business partners and all his partners. At the time, it was illegal for Americans to own gold. So... You know, he's dealing with guys who are in the underground, you know, in the black market to begin with. He was paranoid of them, and one of them ended up shooting him in the back of the head. Oops. So, And a lot of the treasures that he, he was said to have buried out around the desert, at the treasures that he recovered, a lot of those are said to have still to still be out there. So, No kidding. Oh, my. And, and so there one of the Yeah. And one of them was a, a 1797 translation from Pope Pius III. And Pope Pius III, he, 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 uh, he had one of the – he reigned from September of 1503 to October of 1503, so right at a month. And then he died. But he was involved in this supposedly and wrote a letter. It was a real cryptic message about, about Victoria Peak, but at the time – that peak was named Soledad, which you know has a lot to do with the sun, and it was supposed to have been part of Cibola and the seven lost cities of gold. Ah, wow. But let me ask you this question, Daniel. Why do you think Jesse took the time and trouble to write about all of this and provide a map? Why do that? He did it very Everything he did was very it, – it always had mystery involved, um, he, like his diary, for example. He didn't – he never wrote about his feelings or his thoughts. 
He just wrote the facts, you know, like went to town, bought some calico and eggs for, for you know, for food, or he bought grain for the cattle. And uh, But then you'd, you'd come, I would come across places where he'd write code, and that just really shocked me. And then I figured out the code, and he would mention, like, dollar amounts or some somebody's name, somebody he had met. And usually that had to deal with, you know, former gang members and stuff like that. Uh, he didn't really spell it out. He made it where you had to work to figure out what he was talking about. Um, and after you piece all the clues together, at the same time, and I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, he would, you, he would make you work for it, and then you'd come to a portion where he would sign his name, J. James, right out in the open, unencrypted, just J. James. So it kind of made me wonder, what was he doing? Was he having fun with his diary? playing games well it sounds like he was having the last laugh in a lot of ways and as you mentioned too i think i heard another interview where you were talking about he also collected the pension of james yeah. court that's hilarious that was <laughs> and that made us laugh because the cousin's name who he took used to be a union soldier so he collected a union pension and yeah you're <laughs> right that's exactly right he got it's like he was getting the last laugh Yes. Yeah. But, you know, again, I'm stymied by how he kept his diary. So he wrote facts, matter of fact facts, nothing really exciting. He went to town, he picked up some stuff and came home. So there's that everyday life that he, he just wrote what he did. But then there's all of these other things that that lead you down an entirely different, well, a rabbit hole yeah. where you're trying to figure out what was he, what do you think he wanted to have happen with you finding this information? What do you think his goal would be for you? I think he didn't want anything bad happen. Or, you know, he, he was a very notorious outlaw. Everybody was after him at the time. Um, you know, he was also known as a Robin Hood, but at the same time, the law, want, they, they wanted to catch Jesse James. I think when he faked his death, there were some law, lawmen who knew or had suspicions, but as long as he ceased, though, you know, as long as he quit robbing and causing trouble for the economy of the whole state, um, I think <laughs> they were happy with that, and they were kind of just glad to, glad to see him go. Um, but at the same time, he... He was, he, like PK had mentioned, he was doing two things at once. He would write the facts in the diary, and then he would leave, right. mystery, he would leave mysteries. And I, think, I don't think he wanted his children having a stigma on them for, because he was an outlaw. Uh, at, mm -hmm. In those days, in this part of the country especially, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something somebody would have been proud of. Uh, but then, but at the same time, he left clues behind to be to be deciphered and figured out, and I think maybe he hoped that somebody down the you know down the line would eventually figure out the secret. Uh, yes, and maybe be a part of this group because you're certainly like you know knee deep in all of this or more. I mean, you you've become a part of the group. I I've, I've part. Thank you. That's that's I'm very that's a huge compliment for me. Um, I really, it, 
all the research I've done has led me into, you know, they, those guys are my heroes, the Freemasons, the Knight Templar, Jesse, everybody involved, uh, you know, Francis Bacon, John Dee, and all those guys. They, they did some amazing – it's amazing. And I don't think America would be anything close to what we, we are, you know, what we became without them. I don't, we may not have even existed uh, just without their involvement and their guiding hand. Well, I think that's true. I mean, they created quite a spiritual highway with all of what they've done. And, I mean, John Dee, he was amazing just in what he did with the Enochian language, the angelic yeah. language. That's right. And, we've, yeah, we've had Lon Duquette on the show. He can read the Enochian language, and he's recited it live on the air. It's remarkable that John Dee was able to do that with his partner uh, so many centuries ago. It's, and it's incredible that Jesse was so connected to all of this. I, I have to tell you, Daniel, I'm still and somewhat shocked that he was so connected to these these people, this group of erudite scholars. It's amazing. It shocked me just as much. I mean, when I first found this, you know, when I stumbled onto that, I thought, you know, at, at first you're thinking, no, this couldn't be true. This is way too amazing <laughs> so, yeah. so i would back i would back off and and try to get hit it at different angles and it all kept leading back to the same the same theme and the same facts and the, the evidence and different things and it, it it no matter what angle i hit it from it kept coming back and it you know it showed to be true the numbers involved everything that was involved uh there was a lot of geomat geometria in the uh the, even the distances and the dimensions of the templates. And it, it's just, it amazes me how it all keeps tying back into the same theme. And after, you know, eventually you, I decided it can't be wrong. All, there's too many avenues that are all going to the same, the same spot. So, and That's like you said, uh, you had mentioned the troubling, you know, the trouble that Jesse had lived through. And talking about John D. John D. is another example. You know, he had gone through a lot of trouble. He had an amazing library when he, you know, at his home in England, and he had traveled to Europe. And when he came back, his house and library had been ransacked, and he basically didn't have any power anymore. He was kind of fallen out of a grace with the the new ruling party and everything. And he went through a lot of troubles himself. So, yes, I think a everybody. Lot men, a lot of the people, men and women, involved throughout history who are involved with this, a lot of them have gone through great sacrifice. Yes, it's a real trial by fire, that's for sure. But again, let me go back to this diary thing and the map, because I'm wondering, did Jesse also leave any spiritual messages? Anything that you would go, oh my God, here's a spiritual message from Jesse James. In a way... I think the template itself is a spiritual message. Um, and he knew about the template. Leaving some of the clues behind that led to that, I w it could be viewed as a spiritual message. Uh, there's probably a lot more that I haven't realized yet. Every time I dig into this, I, find, I come back with more that just keeps, it keeps getting deeper and deeper. And to be honest, there were some areas of the research when I first got into it that made me nervous. Um, you know, you know, I'm I'm just 
I grew up in small town Texas, so and you know I went to college, but but at the same time, you know there's there are some some things that I I grew up, you know you're told as a child don't don't even go there, don't look into that, it's not good, keep away from it, you know, and I think parents are, and other relatives are sometimes afraid for the kid to go off down some rabbit hole, especially at a young age. But yeah. as I got as I got older. Uh, you know, you, you start getting a little more used to things. And when I got into this, some things spooked me at first, but I, you know, I got past that. And then you start reading more about it, and you notice there's a lot of similarities between all these different beliefs that tie in together. If well, you've sense. done an amazing job with this, Daniel. I mean, again, the book is great, everybody. It's called Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure. It's by Daniel J. Duke, great-great-grandson of Jesse James. Highly recommend it. And it just seems like there's so much more that you have yet to find. And I really hope that your relatives will come to their senses and give you their the diaries they have in their hot little hands, or at least a copy of it so yeah, that you a can... a copy would be great. Yeah. That would be nice to do that yeah, after yeah. all. I, I personally, my my goal and my late mother's goal were to was to you know get a little a museum, e- either have a museum or donate it to a museum eventually so that it would be preserved and protected and not hidden away in somebody's you know storage room or something. Yeah, that's tragic. It's always good to be able to. I'm yeah, sorry. I mean, PK, I we couldn't it's hear you. good to put some truth to it. Oh, yes. yes. Yes, and you could even do a virtual museum with a lot of what you have already. That's a good idea. Yeah. That's a real, real good idea. I highly recommend it because then people from all over the world can take a look, and you never know who's looking at the site who actually may be able to help you piece more things together. That's, that is very true. I think that's an excellent idea because remember most of what he comes about with deals with secrets, <clears throat> excuse me. So maybe someone else will open up some of the secrets that you need to finish what you're doing. That would, that would be great. Yeah, because you're talking about people who came from Europe, you know, the Knights Templar and, you know, John Dee. You're you're talking about a European base there where we certainly know there was a lot of esoteric science going on. So it may take people from that area who are also descendants to come together with you and be able to, to give you these other pieces. That would be great. That would be. And, you know, my sister and I recently wrote another book this one's just a, the it's i don't have a release date for that yet it'll it will be sometime in 2020 i believe uh, but when that one's just about jesse and continuing our mother's work and i i think after that comes out or it's been our plan when after that comes out i, I hope to i think a virtual a virtual museum is a perfect way to start and mm-hmm. i think that's the perfect timing to put that all out there yes Yes. Well, gosh, cousin. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Good for you, and it's a pleasure to meet you. 
Uh, oh gosh, we've just enjoyed this this time. It's just gone too fast. I hope you will come back on the show. And every time that you know somebody has another book coming out and it's as great as your first one, we want you to come back and talk about the rest of the story in your new book for 2020 and your future plans. Now that you have them, you're going to be doing a virtual museum and enlisting the aid of other people who might be able to put the final pieces together for you. But, oh, gosh, Daniel, this has been so much fun and so enlightening. And what a great legacy you have here with Jesse James. And I guess I do, too, since I'm your cousin. (laughs) That's right. You do, too. And thank you. You know, and and it's not. (laughs) Well, it's also, I think their gift, they gave a gift to America and formed, helped form the country. So it's it's all of our legacy in a way. It is. You're absolutely right. It belongs to all of us. And it, it really it does. Has been, it has been a great pleasure for me. I I really appreciate you having me on the show, and I really I look forward to coming back in it again. Well, now, thank we're you. We're looking forward to it as well. well we you. can't wait. We can't wait. This has been absolutely terrific. Thank you so very much. So next week, everybody, we'll be back with another exciting show. Hey, guess what? We've got another mystery for you, Covert Disclosure. He has a secret identity and claims to be working with a secret government organization, and he's going to spill the beans right here on Supernatural (laughs) Girls. So be sure to join us. It's going to be cool. So everybody, until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. Daniel, you're still there? I, I'm here. What a I great did, guest you are. Thank you. Uh, how did it go? Did it go good? It was terrific. This was one of my very favorite shows. I really enjoyed everything you had to say. You're very good on the air. You have a great way of speaking, and everything just follows the path. And it's it's just wonderful to listen to you talk about all of this. You clearly know the material. I mean, you really know it well. So it, it was great. I think it's one of our all-time shows. That makes me real happy to hear, and thank you. for That's a great compliment. Uh, oh, it's I, I, I'm always nervous, you know, I don't – because it's a continuation of not only my mother's work, but my, our family history, your family history too. Yeah, so it, absolutely. So it, it makes me happy to know. And, yeah, this, this was – I just – I can't thank you enough for having me on the show too. Oh, believe me, it, it was, I've been waiting for your book to come out so that I could contact your publicist, Ashley, and, and get you on the show because I saw the book was coming out last last year it was announced, and I was like, oh, my God, I have to get Daniel on the show. And you're like, well, if the book doesn't come out you know, for a while, and I was so excited. So I've been waiting. 
for a long time <laughs> to have well, you on my we, show. And I'm also glad we we got to meet your cousin. So that makes I me real happy. It. That is exciting. It it really is exciting. And God bless you for the good work you're doing. I mean, you are really piecing all of this together in a wonderful way. Thank so you. I, I'm, I really feel blessed to have had you on the show. I know PK, God bless her. She did a great job with the numbers for Jesse. And if we have more time, and it's something you might want to include in any other book that you do, you might want to get on the phone with her and have her do a more uh, in-depth exploration of Jesse's personality. Yeah. And the people that I want to connect you with, I'll give them a call tomorrow. It's um, Dwight and Rhonda Hull. They're the ones that contact outlaws that have passed. They're psychic mediums, very lovely people. We've had them on the show a couple of times. And I would love to find out if they've contacted Jesse. And if not, I know they would like to. So I'll make sure to connect you with them. It could be a lot of fun. Yeah, it was Pete and Rhonda Hall. Dwight and Rhonda are, yeah, Rhonda Hall. I'll get you their contact information. And they've written a couple books about the Wild West and their explorations. Uh, into ghost towns and other areas that they feel there are still a lot of people hanging around from those days. So uh, I will contact them for you, and I'll I'll give you all their contact information so you can speak with them directly. Okay, thanks. Yeah, you never know what can come of it, but it can be fun. Yeah, it would be. (laughs) And it's always nice to have have some fun involved in this, too. So I don't know if you've read about our family fights over the years. There were a lot of people attacking my mother and death threats and things like that. So it's always nice to have a little fun, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I did watch a documentary years ago about this, and it it did look like it got very contentious within the family. Yeah, people kept threatening to kill my mother and, and me and my sister just because we helped her and you know, of course we're going to defend our mother, but, and my mom knows how, you know, she knew what I wanted to do, but that, and that's why she contacted the FBI so quick because it tied my hands. So, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, but fortunately the FBI got involved and they put in, they put a stop to it. Nobody got arrested because one of the guys who was siding with my mother, he was he was a young boy. He was he he was tied in with the Hunt Oil family out of Dallas, Texas, and oh, he really, really? He, he was really interested in my mom's research. Well, he was uh-huh. defending my mother. They sent him a death threat, so he sent a death threat back to them. And no. That, so the FBI said, okay, if, you know, they told my mom you can file charges on these people and they, they will go to jail. But if you do, they're going to file charges on Dallas, you know, the Mr. Hunt, and he will go to jail too. And, you know, he was a loyal friend. Mom didn't want to, a loyal friend. Or, you know, he was just defending my mother. Exactly. And, and, and she didn't want him to be punished or go to jail. Plus, he was only, he was about 21 at the time. 20 oh, or 21. young man, yeah. So, and, oh, and another... Uh, the other thing was I wouldn't want to make a powerful oil family mad at me. So <laughs> No, we did not. No, yeah. definitely not. Well, then you did the right thing by not, not pursuing that avenue. But it really got, yeah, I could see from the documentary they, that it was very uh, contentious. I can't imagine it 
living through it. Although I live in a small town and it's very contentious. So I, I, I know something of what you're talking about, yeah. but please keep in touch. Okay. Okay. I will. And uh, yeah, thank you. We... thanks again. Oh, you're so welcome, Daniel. Again, you are a terrific guest. You really are. So we'll definitely have you back on. You just let us know when that book's about to drop and we'll have you back on. Or um, if you have any other groundbreaking information, then let us know. We'll bring you back then. I'll do that. Okay, Daniel. Take care. Thanks so much. You too, and you have a great evening. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.